verses 2 to 20. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, it's a simple song. It was just sung. A truth that we learn early in life in Sunday school. And yet... It's something that we struggle with every day of our lives. To simply trust and obey. To trust that you are God. To trust that you are faithful. To trust that you are good, that you are just, that you are holy. To trust that you are all-knowing and all-powerful, that you are sovereign, that you are working all things out for our good and for your glory. To trust. And then because we trust, to obey. Heavenly Father, even as we turn our attention to this passage this morning, may we be challenged with that simple truth. May we, may we be reminded to simply trust and obey because of who you are. Pray that you would be honored in this hour this evening, this morning. That you would cause distractions to fall away. That your spirit would work in each and every one of us through the word of God for your purposes. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've probably heard the saying before. Rome wasn't built in a day. It's an old adage that attests to the need for patience and faithfulness in the pursuit of greatness. Great things are accomplished in small steps. I just started a, a college uh, seminary class this, uh, a few weeks ago online. And when you start a class, you students know this well, you get that um, syllabus and you look at it, and it can be overwhelming, can it not? There's a lot to get done. But you don't complete that class in one giant leap. It's completed an assignment at a time, a day at a time. A degree is not earned quickly, but slowly over time through faithfulness in your classes. The same is true for large projects at work, large home improvement projects, even long trips. I dread the trip to South Carolina every year. It's a long trip. And yet there's little steps that help me get through it. I don't have to get there all at once. I just have to get to Iowa City. I can get to Iowa City. And then I get to Iowa City, and I can get to Peoria. I can do it. I get to Peoria. I can get to Champaign. I can get to Indianapolis. I can get to Cincinnati. I can get to Lexington. I can get to Knoxville. I can get to Asheville. I'm home. It's often not one giant leap, but many small steps that leads to success. That's what we're going to see this morning. See, last week in Habakkuk 1, 5 to 2, 1, 
We were challenged with the reality that as believers, our hope is not in understanding what God is doing, but in knowing who God is. And that is great news for us because the reality is that so often life doesn't make sense to us. Life doesn't make any sense from our limited perspective. And more often than not, we have absolutely no idea what God is doing or how this could be good. But we do know, and we find hope in the fact that God is God and we are not. We find hope in God's faithfulness and omniscience and omnipotence and goodness and providence. We find hope in who he is. It is good and it is encouraging. Who God is gives us something to cling to. When life doesn't make sense, it gives us something through which to filter how we think about and process the chaos of life. But how does who God is inform what I do today? In Habakkuk 2.1, Habakkuk found himself waiting on the Lord. He wants to do the right thing. And yet he doesn't even understand how to reconcile what he sees going on around him with what he knows to be true about God. He finds encouragement in what he knows to be true about God. But the question this morning is, what does it look like to live faithfully when life doesn't make sense? Last week we saw that there's encouragement, not in understanding what's going on, but who God is. But what does that look like for my everyday, day-to-day life? What does it look like to live faithfully when it doesn't make sense? When I can't reconcile what I see with what I know? That's what we're going to see this morning. Like climbing Mount Everest or earning a degree or driving to South Carolina, it is small steps, not giant leaps. Living faithfully when life doesn't make sense looks like being faithful in the little things that God has called me to today and trusting Him with tomorrow. In fact, this morning, we will see that who God is not only brings encouragement to the heart, it gives direction to the feet. Knowing who God is not only brings encouragement to the heart, that's what we saw last week, but this week we'll see that it also gives us direction, direction to our feet. This morning in Habakkuk 2, 2 to 20, the Lord reminds Habakkuk of his sovereignty, of his faithfulness, of his justice, and of his power. And in light of who he is, the Lord calls Habakkuk not just to be encouraged, but to faithfully follow. In light of who I am, faithfully follow. First thing we see this morning, in the first two verses, Habakkuk 2, verses 2 to 3, we see that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. 
For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Habakkuk 2.2, the Lord comes and once again answers Habakkuk. Habakkuk has, has lobbed up his second complaint against God. And now for the second time, the Lord comes and he sits and he answers him. He gives him a message through a vision with specific instruction to write it clearly for others to see. This is the Lord's instruction. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. The Lord wants this message to be understood and to go forth to his people. Write it on tablets. Things that are portable, that can go forth to all his people. Write it so that he may run who reads it. The idea there is of a a courier, a messenger who, who runs around, who delivers messages. I want you, Habakkuk, to write what I am going to show you. And I want you to write it clearly. And I want you to take it out to everyone. I want them to see this and to know this. Why? Because the vision is yet for an appointed time. I want them to see this and I want them to know this. Because this is something that is coming. And when it comes, I want them to know that it is I who have done it. Because I told them I was going to do it. Even before we get to the content of the message, the timing of the message testifies to the Lord's sovereignty. The Lord wants his people to know what he will do. And he wants them to know that uh, he will do it in his perfect timing. I will do this, and I will do it in my time. In fact, the language here in Habakkuk 2 is similar to what we find in Daniel 8, 26, and in Daniel 12, 4, and 9. In those passages where the Lord clearly indicates that the vision that Daniel sees is for a time far in the future. And yet he gives it to Daniel because he wants his people to know and to look for it with expectation. I am your God. I am doing a work that you can't understand. And when it comes, I want you to be reminded that I did that. That I told you I was going to do that. And I did that, and I told you I was going to do that because I am sovereign. Because I am in complete control. The Lord wants his people to be reminded of his meticulous sovereignty. Especially in the shadow of captivity as the Babylonian army marches on. I am giving you a message. And I want everyone to know this message because it's going to come to pass in my timing. And when it comes to pass, it will testify to my sovereignty. Vision is yet for an appointed time, but 
At the end, it will speak. It will not lie. It is sure. God has the power to do what he says he's going to do. This is sure. It is guaranteed because I have said it. Because I have set it in motion. Though it tarries, wait for it. The idea here is, is though from, from your perspective it seems to tarry, God has said he's going to do this. He said this will happen. And yet everything I see around me doesn't seem to fit what God has said. Maybe God was confused. Maybe something held him up. Maybe his plans changed. If the Lord says, though from your perspective it tarries, wait for it. Why? Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Though from your perspective it may tarry, know this, that in my timing it is not going to tarry. It will come exactly when I purpose it to come. And it will come exactly for my purposes. It will not tarry. These first two verses, before we even get to the vision, testify of God's sovereignty. There's a reason that God delivers the message in this way. There's a reason why he wants his people to know what he's going to do before he does it. Because he wants them to be reminded that he is a sovereign God. Why? This ties back to, to the whole big purpose of this passage. Because it ties into... My clicker's not working. God's sovereignty gives God's people encouragement to endure. Who God is pulls out of God's people a response. If God is sovereign, if this is true, if God says that he will do this, if I believe that he will do this, and, and though from my perspective and everything tells me that he is tearing, he says he will not tarry, God will do this, and if he will do this, then I can endure. I know he's in control. God's sovereignty gives God's people encouragement to endure. In fact, as we look, work our way through this passage, as we see his sovereignty, his faithfulness, his justice, and his power, all these characteristics of God brought forth through this passage, we will see specifically how that ties into God's people and what encouragement that pulls from them. So before we even get to the message, just the way it's delivered, the purpose through which it's delivered, testifies to God's sovereignty. And God's sovereignty gives God's people encouragement to endure. When you know that your God is in control, you can rest in his hands. Even as everything falls around you, you can rest in his hands because you know that his plan is good. You know that your circumstances are accomplishing his purpose and that his promises still stand because your God is sovereign. Secondly, in verse 4 to 5, we see that God is faithful. Behold the proud. 
His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he's a proud man and he does not stay at home because he enlarges his desire as hell. He's like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. Here in Habakkuk 2.4, the Lord begins his message answering Habakkuk's complaint by contrasting these two groups of people. He contrasts the proud and the just. The proud we see at the beginning of verse 4 and then into verse 5. It's a clear reference to those who are contrary to God's people, specifically here, Babylon. They are the proud. The enemy, as the, as the NIV phrases it. The pride has already been clearly documented in the Lord's description of them from Habakkuk 1, verse 11. He says, they made their strength their God. They worshiped themselves. They have no regard for the Lord God because they are their own God. Hold the proud. Look at them. As you go on in verse 5, the Lord goes on to describe Babylon. And in this description, what he does is he, he further confirms the very thing that Habakkuk had a problem with. He further confirms that they are indeed a wicked people. There are people that are marked by drunkenness and arrogance and greed. And it seems at first that Habakkuk's complaint was fair. Maybe God doesn't know what he's doing. But there's a reason here that the Lord calls Habakkuk to behold the proud. Look, Habakkuk. Really look and see the proud. See this, this nation that has risen up by my hand. Behold the Babylonians. They trust in themselves. Their hope is in conquests and riches, and yet they are never satisfied. Verse 5 says he's like death and cannot be satisfied. He's gathered to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. And yet he cannot be satisfied. Conquest, power, riches, alcohol, all of these things that they heap up unto themselves, they are things that promise joy and satisfaction. And yet they leave the Babylonians empty and unsatisfied. Look at them, Habakkuk. Don't be jealous of them. They have all that this world has to offer, and that is all that they will ever have. Behold the proud. And see not only their pride, see not only their power and their strength now, but see their end. See that they are never satisfied. Contrasted with that, are the just at the end of verse 4. But the just shall live by his faith.
The Babylonians trust in themselves. They live by violence and conquest. And they are never satisfied. But the just shall live by his faith. This one line, these six words, the just shall live by his faith, this is the core of God's message to Habakkuk. This is the core of the book of Habakkuk right here. If I were going to preach one message on Habakkuk to sum up the whole thing, it would be right here. The just shall live by his faith. You may have recognized that that same phrase was used in Hebrews 10, as we were reading this morning. It's also used by Paul in Romans and in Galatians. In Romans and in Galatians, Paul uses it, that the just shall live by his faith. He's, he's referencing saving faith. We are saved by faith. Life comes by faith in Christ. Not by the works of the law. In the passage we read this morning in Hebrews, it's not just shall live by faith, they shall have eternal life by faith, but it's they shall live lives of faithfulness. It's a call to be faithful, to endure. Both those ideas are here in this passage. Both that life comes through faith, saving faith, believe me, but then the idea that faith doesn't stop at a one-time decision. It's an all-of-life commitment. Believe me and then be faithful to me. Those two ideas are not at odds with one another. In fact, that's not the only difference or the only kind of ambiguous thing. The just shall live by his faith. It seems at first to come across fairly clear. In the original language, however, it's actually somewhat ambiguous as to who it refers. We've already talked about the issue between, is it faith or faithfulness? I would say it's the idea of both. It is clearly the just, God's people. But whose faith or faithfulness do they live by? Whose faith or faithfulness do they live by? It could... In the context, it could refer to God's faithfulness that sustains the faithful. In contrast to the empty God of the Babylonians that, leads them unsat that leaves them unsatisfied, the just, God's people, shall live by God's faithfulness. He is faithful to them. Or it could be their faith in God and faithfulness to God that marks the life of the just. In contrast to the soul of the proud that is not upright in him. Is it that the just lives a faithful life because of his faith? Or is it that the just live because God is faithful to them? See, there's a reason that I bring this up. It would have been a lot easier to just kind of move on and... and Pretend there's not an ambiguous nature to this. But the reason I bring it up is because I believe that the ambiguous nature of this statement is purposeful. I don't think it's either or. I think it's both the faithfulness of God that sustains the just and it is faith in God of the just marked by faithfulness in their lives that is in view here. It is both a faithful God and a faithful people. 
The just shall live by his faith because God is faithful and the just shall live by his faith because he believes that God is faithful. Or to put it another way, the faithfulness of God encourages and empowers the faithfulness of his people. The faithfulness of God encourages and empowers the faithfulness of his people. God's people live lives of faithfulness to God, trusting in God because they believe that God is faithful. This is the message of Habakkuk. If God is faithful, and he is, then God's people will have faith in him regardless of circumstances. My faithfulness is tied directly to God's faithfulness. I can be faithful regardless of my circumstances because I know my God is faithful regardless of circumstances. And if that's true, if it's true that my circumstances don't change who God is, as we saw last week, then it's also true that my circumstances don't change my responsibility to God. If my circumstances don't change who God is, and they don't, then my circumstances do not change my responsibility to God. My circumstances might make it difficult to obey the Lord, yet that doesn't change my responsibility to obey the Lord, because he does not change. Those who have faith in God will live lives faithful to God, regardless of the circumstances of their life, because they believe that God is faithful. The just live by faith because the just trust in a faithful God. As I said earlier, faith is not merely a one-time decision. It's not just a one-time decision. It is an all-of-life commitment if I believe that God is God, and I believe that God is faithful, then I will live my life in alignment with who God is and what God says every moment of every day. Even if I don't understand what God is doing. Faith in God does not demand that I understand what God is doing. Faith in God demands that I submit to what God is doing and trusting that it is according to who God is and what he has promised. And this is the core message of Habakkuk. Be faithful regardless. Because God is faithful. I hope that makes sense. It can be kind of confusing trying to, to walk through that, all of the different things. I know I use the word faithfulness a lot in there. But I hope that makes sense to you. I hope you're able to follow along. Be faithful regardless of anything else. Because God is faithful. The proud live in alignment with their faith in themselves. They find no satisfaction. But the just live in alignment with their faith in the Lord. And therefore they have hope, for he is faithful. The faithfulness of God 
gives God's people direction for their lives. The faithfulness of God gives God's people direction for their lives. It gives direction in the darkest days. Because what do you do when you don't know what God is doing? You trust your faithful God by being faithful in the little things that he has called you to today. God's faithfulness gives God's people direction. Because God is faithful, I know what to do. I don't understand what he's doing, but I know what to do. I do this, this one thing that God has called me to today. And I let tomorrow worry about itself. I will be faithful today because God is faithful. God's faithfulness gives God's people direction for their lives. As you come to verses 6 to 20, we see that God is great. God is great. The Lord encourages Habakkuk by reminding Habakkuk of the Lord's sovereignty. He calls Habakkuk to faithfulness by reminding Habakkuk of the Lord's faithfulness. And now in Habakkuk 2, verses 6 and 19, the Lord gives Habakkuk courage by reminding him of the Lord's justice. In this passage, verses 6 to 19, the Lord lays out five woes against Babylon for their sin. Five woes. A woe is an an exclamation of coming disaster or judgment. What's interesting is that these five woes come in the form of taunts against mighty Babylon. It's as if God's people getting ready to be carried off into captivity with this army at their door. It's as if God's people stand there and they have courage now because they know they're reminded of the Lord's justice and they are taunting this army. They're rubbing it in. Because the Babylonians don't seem so terrible or intimidating in light of who Habakkuk's God is and the justice that, he'll be poured, that will be poured out on the Babylonians in the end. God's promised justice in this passage gives God's people courage because they know that in the end, they're still going to be standing. In the end, when it's all said and done, Babylon will be gone. But they'll still be standing because their God will still be standing. And his promises will still be standing. Kind of reminds me of the, the, the idea of, of this nation who's getting ready to be conquered, taunting this nation who's standing at their doorstep. It almost reminds me of that. Uh, you probably all know a kid who kind of peaked in high school. Right? In high school, they are, just, they are the bee's knees, if you will. Throwback phrase. I was clearly not that kid. <laughs> I was clearly not cool in high school. <laughs> uh, but the kid is just everyone, you know, you was the cool kid. And yet there's kind of the, the joke that those who, who uh, are cool in high school will work for the kids later on <laughs> who weren't. He peaked in high school. And so I, I, as I was reading this, I almost picture that, that kid who gets made fun of in high school and this kid who's cool in high school. And this kid who gets made fun of kind of making fun of the other kid saying, you know what, it doesn't matter because I know the end. I know the end. You might have everything, it seems, in these four years. But for the next 50, 
<laughs> you'll be working for me. <laughs> That's kind of the idea here. This, this army is on their door. It is powerful. It is great. They're conquering the world. And what hope is there for little Judah? And there's this little nation about to be conquered. And it's as if they're standing on their wall and they're just taunting this army out there. We know the end. You're going to be gone. But we're going to be here still. Because our God, our God still stands. And his promises still stand. Bring your worst. Whatever you can do, we'll still be here. For the sake of time, I'm going to just quickly kind of work my way through these woes. Just referencing them. Because the idea, as we work our way through here, regardless of what the specific sins are that Babylon is being condemned for, the idea goes back to Habakkuk's complaint. How can you just overlook their evil, their wickedness, and use them to judge us? And what God is saying here to Habakkuk is this. I'm not overlooking them. They're not getting away with it. I am just. I see their sin. And they will be condemned. God sees their sin and God will judge them for their sin. Just like he is using them to judge his people. The first one in verses 2 to 6 is the idea of extortion. Babylon will be judged for their corrupt financial oppression. Babylon will conquer. They will find success. They will gain power. They will get rich. But then they will fall. In fact, there's a, there's a line in there. Verse, four, verse 6, Will not all these take up a proverb against him and taunting riddle against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his, how long? To him who loads himself with many pledges, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will not they awaken who oppress you and you will become their booty? Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. Those that you plunder shall plunder you. The conqueror will become the conquered. All these nations will rise up and demand payment because of the extortion of Babylon. The conquered will become, conqueror will become conquered. Secondly, verses 9 to 11, because of their covetousness, and this is tied to extortion. It's their covetousness. Babylon is guilty of violent conquest and looting. And their conquest is not born out of any righteous or just cause. It's born out of pure covetousness and bloodlust. They look at what their neighbor has and they want it and they are stronger and so they go and they take it. They care more for riches and for power than they do for people and they will be judged for that. Verses 12 to 13 is ruthless violence or brutality. Their cities are founded on bloodshed. Their empire is like a fire that consumes, causing nothing but damage. They are ruthlessly brutal and violent. Verses 15 to 17 is debauchery. Debauchery and manipulation. In fact, the picture that, that 
the Lord uses here is of a wicked man who manipulates a woman by using alcohol to dull her senses so that he can get what he wants from her. That's the same picture that the the Lord uses here of Babylon. You have used alcohol to dull the senses of those around you so you can just take what you want, so you can look at their nakedness, so you can take their possessions. You feed your appetite for conquest and for sex through violence and alcohol. And yet there's a promise that as you expose others, you will be exposed and shamed as well. You will not get away with it. Finally, verses 18 to 19 is idolatry. It's almost humorous. as it is the foolishness of idolatry that is pointed out. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The molden image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of, of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. Woe to him who says to wood, awake! To silent stone, arise! It shall teach! Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. trusting in these empty idols. There's nothing there. It's just wood. It's just metal. And you expect it to teach you? You expect it to tell you what to do? There's no breath in it. There's no sense in it. It is foolish. The point here is that Babylon is a wicked nation who will not escape the wrath of the Lord. They will be judged for their extortion, for their covetousness, for their ruthless violence and brutality, for their debauchery, and for their idolatry. A day will come when Babylon will fall, and yet God's people will still stand because God is faithful and his promises will still stand. It is this hope that emboldens God's people, even on the eve of captivity. Also, in verses 14 and 20, throughout the Lord's five woes on Babylon, there's also encouragement in here. For God's people, there's a reminder of a lasting kingdom that will not fall. In fact, look at 2.14, if you will. Starting in verse 13, Behold, is, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people labor to feed the fire and the nations weary themselves in vain? The idea of the, the Babylons who've built these cities by, by bloodshed and brutality. At verse 14, there's a contrast. Unlike Babylon, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's just four quick lines in the midst of all these woes. And yet these four quick lines point out that unlike Babylon, a mere blip on the radar of history, there's a coming kingdom that will endure. It is this kingdom, not Babylon, that Habakkuk and all of God's people should be focused on. Other kingdoms will rise and fall, but one day, long after Babylon has been conquered and fallen away, one day, the whole earth will know and worship Israel's God. We will still be here because our God will still be here. Secondly, in verse 20, we have another reminder 
of this great God. In Habakkuk 2.20, the Lord turns our attention to heaven. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Contrasted with these mute, powerless, wooden and metal idols with no breath that the Babylonians worship, contrasted with that is the Lord God who sits on his throne in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. In contrast to Babylon's foolish pride and empty idols is the Lord God who sits on his throne. He is very real and his justice will rain down. No one has a right to speak before this God. And one day all the earth will stand in awestruck reverence before him. The conqueror will be conquered. And there is a kingdom that will last forever. And it is not Babylon. It is the kingdom of Israel's God. The kingdom of the Lord God. That will come and that will not fall away. And so God's people have hope. Really, this whole passage, verses 2 to 20, it's a passage full of judgment for the, enemies, uh, for the enemies of God and God's people. And yet, at the same time, it's a passage full of hope for God's people. It's a passage full of hope. Because God's sovereignty gives God's people encouragement. God's faithfulness gives God's people direction. God's justice gives God's people boldness in persecution, and God's reign gives God's people hope in life and death. God is sovereign. He is faithful. He is just. And the Lord reigns. Habakkuk 2, verses 2 to 20, is an invitation for Habakkuk and all of God's people to have faith in the Lord. Trust the Lord to lead and to provide for his people, and trust the Lord to judge his enemies. So back to our original question, what does it look like to live faithfully when life doesn't make sense? Living faithfully when life doesn't make sense looks like being faithful in the little things that God has called me to today and trusting him with tomorrow. That's what God tells Habakkuk here. Habakkuk, you may not understand what's going on. You don't have to understand. Because the just will live by faith. The just will be faithful regardless of what they understand, regardless of circumstances. The just will be faithful because their God is faithful. Be faithful because your God is faithful. His faithfulness equips us and empowers us to be faithful. So be faithful in the little things that God has called you to today. Habakkuk didn't have to understand what God was doing. Habakkuk just had to do what God had called him to that day. Be faithful in the little things that God has called you to today and trust God for tomorrow. So by way of application, three quick points. 
Number one, be patient. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. Wait trusting in the Lord. Remember who he is and what he has promised. And while you wait, be faithful. See, the exact song I was just saying right before we, I got up here. Trust and obey. Wait on the Lord, trusting in him, and be faithful to obey while you wait. You may not see what he is doing, but wait patiently on him. He is working all things for your good. Be faithful while you wait. Take one little step of faith at a time. The question is, what has the Lord called you to today? What has he called you to today? He's given you the word of God, which is there to, to make you perfect, fully equipped, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 tells us. So read your Bible. What has he called you to today? Not forsake the assembling of yourselves. Go to church. Be faithful in church. Don't just come to church. Serve in church. Get plugged in. Be faithful to serve the body. What has the Lord called you to today? Be faithful to love and to lead your wife. Be faithful to submit to your husband. Be faithful to lead your children. Be faithful to make a disciple. You may not see the big picture or the end or where this is going. But you know what to do today. You know what to do today. So be faithful today and put the rest in God's hands. He'll take care of tomorrow. You be faithful today. Because God is faithful. And finally, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because your God reigns. And in the end, when all of this has passed away, it is his kingdom that will stand. And because he will be there, his promises will stand. And that's our hope. That's our hope. Be patient. Be faithful. Be encouraged. We're going to close this morning with a song we sang earlier. Hymn number 388. I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed.